Hi. My name is Jeremy, and I am a redeemed, people-pleasing, legalistic, traditionalistic perfectionist. You can say that five times fast, you get a prize. See, I was raised in a Christian home, trusted Christ in an early age, and began to walk in that new life. But somewhere along the way, I began to struggle. I began to trust myself more than the Spirit of God. And in some ways, and at some times, I forgot the grace of God, and I tried to earn God's favor by behavior management. In my soul, I knew that it wasn't right, but there was a battle going on between my spirit and flesh. Over the last couple of decades, the Lord has been chipping away at my tendency to go back to the flesh, to the old stuff, as he has consistently brought to my heart and mind that his grace is sufficient. His word has penetrated my life over and over and over to help me understand that I am his, that I can call him Abba, Daddy. That is true. And yet so many times in our lives, brothers and sisters, we can fall into a trap of working to please God instead of serving him because he is God. We can add rules and regulations to make ourselves appear in our own minds that we are a better Christian than the guy or girl next to us. And like any addiction, the lies that we can believe about what it means to depend on self instead of the Lord can engulf our soul and bind us once again to the slavery that Jesus brought us out of. As we've been studying Galatians over the last number of weeks, we have listened to Paul's plea and his reminder to the believers there in Galatia about who he is as an apostle, about who they are as children of promise. Paul declares in Galatians 2, 20-21, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. MacArthur Study Bible Notes say this, those who insist that they can earn salvation by their own efforts undermine the foundation of Christianity and render unnecessary the death of Christ. By returning to the law for salvation, the Galatians were essentially stating that there was no reason for Jesus even to die. Therefore, there was no reason for him to come down on earth to fulfill the promises that the Father made. In his letter, Paul has brought to mind a number of promises of God, and in the section that we're going to look at today, he once again refers to a promise, claiming believers are children of promise. And as he proclaims this truth, we will see the apostles' concern for the Galatians. He will appeal to them with a sense of camaraderie 
to help them understand what's going on in their lives. And he will bring his understanding of two covenants to bring clarity to the fight against the Judaizers who are trying to sway the Galatians from living unchained. Verse 7 of chapter 4 says, Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and have a son, then an heir of God through Christ. He continues in verse 8 of chapter 4. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Paul is basically saying, hey Galatians, remember life how it was before you knew God. The slavery that you're in, the darkness that you're in, the bondage, you were trying to worship things that weren't actually even gods. They were idols. They were empty. They couldn't offer you hope. That made sense when you didn't know God. It made sense then, but now, but now you know God. Actually, it's even more precious than that. You are known by God. You are intimately known by the Father of lights, the good, good Father, whom James tells us there is no variation or shifting shadow. This good, good Father gives perfect gifts. He gave His Son that you might be unchained from your sin. Paul is concerned for these Galatians. He's saying, brothers and sisters, why are you returning to those worthless things? Why are you so chained by ceremonies and such? Has all my work to help you grow been for naught? I am concerned for you. I'm afraid for you. There was a time in my life when I would be very unnerved by breaking tradition. You see, I love tradition. I mean, after all, I went to a college where tradition is king. That's right, giggle. You know I had to work that in. And this was intentional, too. A place where tradition is king. I love the richness that tradition can bring to my life. It's like this Advent wreath and candle. I love how these simple items can help remind me that God is the Father of lights, that His light pierces the darkness, and that we can enjoy just simple things like this to help us remember how good God is. This is fun to me. But what if, what if next year Dana and Wayne decide that we're not going to do the candle and the wreath anymore and celebrate a different way next year for the Advent? What if? If I am unnerved by that, if I am unnerved by that, then I am going to miss out on the fellowship with my family here and more importantly, worship of Almighty God because I'm going to be stuck on something that is a thing. Does that make sense? 
That's what the Galatians are doing. They're going back to something that they don't need anymore. And Paul is concerned. He's scared for them because they're going to miss out on the blessings of being part of the redeemed community because they're over here stuck in the stuff. Charles Swindoll states a situation like this in his study guide for Galatians, Letter of Liberation. It says, the Galatians believers knew that they had come to a God who loved them so much he wouldn't give up on them. They knew they did not deserve to be his children, yet they were acting as if they didn't desire to be in his family. <coughs> acting as if they didn't desire to be in his family. That's never been you, right? You ever had to confront a friend or a family member? You love them so much, but you see something going on in their life that, that you are just, you're concerned, and you're just screaming, stop it, because you don't want them to waste what has been given to them. You want them to thrive. You love them. This is what Paul is writing to the Galatians. He has poured his life into them. He loves them. They've trusted Jesus. They have been set free, and yet they are returning to things that they don't need to return. In fact, they're going after stuff that they didn't have before. These are, these are Gentiles that are trying to be Jewish. And he's like, what are you guys doing? You're not enjoying the life that Jesus died for. Unlike a loving parent or friend, he's been very forthright in his correction. Wading through the arguments of the law and grace, he expresses concern, and then he appeals to them with a sense of camaraderie. Beginning in verse 12. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul appeals to the love of the brethren and showing them that they were connected. They were family. You see, Paul, Paul was sick with something, and we don't know what that is. Some debate that it's, it was malaria. Others have other ideas. But there was something in him. There was something that ailed him that Paul states here is that's the reason why he was able to share the gospel. He was able to preach the gospel. And the, the sickness that he had, it didn't matter to the Galatians. MacArthur in his commentary says, whatever the illness, it was a trial to the Galatians because his bodily condition was such that the normal response to it was revulsion. But the believers there did not despise or loathe Paul's affliction, repulsive as it was. 
they loved him and he loved them. There was a family community going on. They were sharing, they were learning together. It didn't matter that he was sick and yet now he's asking them, where is that blessing? Where is that sense of camaraderie? Where is that fellowship? Why are you counting me as an enemy now? And as he appeals to them as a brother, he points out the danger of those who are seeking to sway them in their belief. Verse 17, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. See, these Judaizers, like any dictator or control freak, however you want to describe that, they lie. And they act as if that they're your friends. They act as if they're your family. But once they get you in, once they get you in, they turn on you and they require you to do whatever they ask for so-called peace. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce said this about verse 17. It says, for the present, the legalizers are courting the Galatians, but the Galatians must take note when once they are courted and thereby estranged, though never divorced from both Paul and Christ, then the roles will be reversed and the Galatians will find they must court the legalizers. Once you go down the wrong road and begin to believe the wrong things, it will hold you in bondage and slavery. And Paul is trying to warn the Galatians of this. You don't have to go back here. My children, I am with you. I am laboring with you until you are formed in Christ. Tell you are Christ-like. This phrase, I am perplexed about you, means I am at my wit's end. Ever felt like that? Loving somebody so much, you see the destruction because they just keep going the wrong way. I am perplexed. I am at my wit's end. Paul is pleading with them to understand that they have history. They are brothers and sisters. They are free and unchained in Christ. And as he appeals to their brotherhood, he illustrates his point between law and grace using two covenants. Now let me warn you, this is a long passage, so just hang in for a second, all right? Beginning at verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? There's a slap in the face already. They want to be under the law, and yet they're already forgetting some basic truths, and Paul's going to highlight this. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, 
bearing children of slavery, she is Hagar. Then Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Did you get all that? You understand it? Ready? The Apostle Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, recalls Jewish history to illustrate the damaging courtship with the Judaizers. Here's a little history. Remember, back in Genesis, Abram had been promised by God that he would be a father to many. But it hasn't happened yet. So Abram is asking God, I don't have, a, I don't have an heir I don't have a son to be my heir. And he's asking God, will this relative over here, who is next in line for my family, will he be the heir? And God responds in chapter 15 of Genesis, verses 4 through 5, says, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside, and he said, Now look to the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he, the Lord, said to Abram, so shall your descendants be. Remember that promise? Well, the crazy thing was Abram and Sarah were, were very old. Too old to naturally have a child. So Sarah decided like any good wife that wants to help her husband, she's going to help out and take things into her own hands. And she did. And she had this lady named Hagar, her maidservant, and she gave Hagar to, to Abram and, and said, you guys have relations and I will, I will give you a son through my maidservant. And so Abram and Hagar had a baby together and his name was Ishmael. You remember the story? As soon as Ishmael was born, what happened with Sarah. She despised Hagar. She despised the boy. And just like Paul has said before, if you go with those who are courting you, if you go on your own way and your own works, your own power, you will be a slave to that. And now Sarah is a slave to her own work. And she's despising the very thing that she was trying to accomplish. Fast forward a little bit, and because God is a good God father and he always keeps his promises, Abraham and Sarah, at an old age, had a baby, and his name was Isaac. And he would be the heir, the son, and many sons would follow after. That's the background of what's happening here. As Paul is trying to get these Galatians to understand that there are two covenants, 
There's a bondwoman and there's a free woman. Hagar is the slave. Sarah is the free woman. So I was trying to figure out how to just think through this and process through this. And I found this chart that Swindoll used in his study guide. And on the left side, you have a religion of works. On the right side, you have a religion of grace. And it kind of breaks down the story here. On the left, in the religion of works, you have Hagar, the bondwoman, Ishmael, by natural birth, the old covenant, earthly Jerusalem, the legalistic religion. On the right side, you have the religion of grace, Sarah, the free woman, Isaac, the supernatural birth, the new covenant, heavenly Jerusalem, authentic Christianity. We're going to break a little bit of uh, tradition here, and I'm going to do a little activity with you. We'll see if we can illustrate this chart to help us remember the difference from law and grace. All right. I need 12 volunteers. Okay. Any, any adults? <laughs> I'm going to pick. Oh, I'm sorry. Come on. Come up. Missy, come up. Okay. Summer, come up. Yes. Constance, come up. Charles, come up. All right. You three, come up. Um, Batman. That's all I can see here. Hold on, how many have I? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I need three more people. <gasps> got one in the back. Come on up. Come on up. Who's way? All right, come on up. No one's else raising their hand. Uh, Nate, come on. Is that right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Come, you gotta run, dude. Huh? Okay. It's not a 12th man thing, but thank you for making that connection for us. I appreciate that. <laughs> Whoop. Um, okay, here we go. Um, everybody familiar with a mannequin challenge? Yeah. <laughs> oh my, okay. Mannequin challenge, you know what that is? Okay, some of you are paying some attention to social media. Good for you. Um, know your culture. All right, so we're going to do a mannequin challenge. All right, so I need one, two, three. Four, come here, come here. Four. Um, I'm going to keep you over here too. Five. The rest of you go over this way. Go that way. Okay? All right. Let's see if we can show you something here. All right. Got a bag of tricks. Okay. Okay, I need you, Constant, on that side. You're, you're the, other, the other side. Um, Charles, you're on this side. Okay, you're going to be Hagar, okay? So I need you to put these on. <laughs> Saved by grace, aren't you? Isn't that great? <laughs> all right, so, all right, so when we do this, you're going to have to, like, you're in bondage. You're, you're, you've been cast out. Verse 30 says the bondwoman and and her son have been cast out. So you are distraught. Yeah, how are you? Okay, excellent. Okay, um, you're Ishmael, okay? You don't like people at all, okay? It's <laughs> not nice. All right, so, so you don't like, okay, especially the guy over there that's gonna be playing Isaac, like you hate him, okay? So you've gotta get the, the biggest scowl on your face and when we pose, you've got, like, you've got to be, 
like evil anger. Okay, can you do that? That's not quite, I need more evil. Like, ske- like yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. Okay, you, you are going to represent the old covenant, okay? So you're going to take this lamb, and you're going to take the knife, okay? And you're going to... And you're going you're gonna to be ready to sacrifice. Now, the problem is that this is a pink lamb. Yeah, turn it over. Yeah, however you want to do it. It's a pink lamb, so I don't think it would actually suffice for God, so that's a whole other problem with the covenant. That, but we're going to go with it for now, okay? It's, not ble- it's, it's blemished, okay? You, my friend, Summer. Okay, oh, shh. hold on. You are going to represent earthly Jerusalem. And since I probably won't ever preach again after this, you're going to hold a gun in church. Um, so, uh, I gave it to the wrong person. Um, so, but, okay, when we do this, you've got to be like, like, you've got to, like, man, I can challenge, we're going to do some poses here, okay? So you're going to, you're going to, okay. You, sir, are going to represent legalistic religion. So you're going to wear a purple robe, and you're, you're so smug that even though it's a woman's ro- robe, it doesn't matter to you. And so... So you're going to be so smug, and all those people stink, and you're so much better than them, okay? That's how you're going to do this. You got it? Can you do that? Oh, you think you can do that? Okay. Okay. Um, what's next? Um, I need you to switch. Okay, you're going to be Sarah. Okay, Sarah's free. Okay, she's representing free one. So can you do like a, I'm free, like kind of, woohoo, like awesome. Okay, I want the leg up, though. When we do this, I want it, uh, okay, perfect. Um, you're going to be Isaac. Okay, Isaac means he laughs, okay? <laughs> Please do that, that'd be awesome. Okay, it means he laughs because God has a sense of humor because Sarah laughed when she heard that she was gonna have a baby and, and she laughed and so God used the name to remind them that he is good and he promises. So you're gonna laugh. You don't have to laugh out loud, just act like you're laughing. Deal? Deal. Okay, uh, New Covenant. Hold up. Okay, this has some splinters in it. <laughs> because I really do believe that Jesus didn't have a sanded cross, but it's okay. So you guys are going to represent the new covenant together. You're going to be family, brothers and sisters, because, because this cross was used when Jesus died. He paid everything. And he said, if, if you're heavy and weary, weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. So you're going to be like at peace and, and brother and sister, like, like everything's good. Can you do that? Like real peace, kind of just let the cross. Yeah, okay. Um, <clears throat> you're heavenly Jerusalem. Um, I want you to stand up there. Can we have the lights? And remember Lion King, Mufasa? Mufasa? Okay, so, <laughs> um, so, okay, I need you to kind of just turn just to, I need to get a good, there we go, that's better. Okay, so, so here's, are you listening? Are you still listening? Okay. It says, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate, wo- the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has been a husband. You're representing, this passage is from Isaiah 54. And it's a, it's a reminder to those Jews who were in captivity that God's promises are forever and that he will endure. So you're going to represent that the son's been born. Everything's going to be good. You got it? Okay, heavenly Jerusalem. Okay. <clears throat> You two are going to represent authentic Christianity, okay? So I want you to lay down since she's in the skirt. Okay, so you are going to be the Good Samaritan, all right? So, and to make this really good, you got, you're, going to have to, you're going to have to be tough, okay? Okay, so you're going to like reach down. You're going to like, she hurt, she's hurt. You're going to help her, 
So your face is like, I love you because God loves me and there's nothing that can change that and so I'm gonna help her and you're gonna, and you're gonna kinda lean up and kinda pose. All right, you ready? <laughs> with grat- yes, you can do that with grat- Okay, hold on, everybody, all right. Hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, everybody pose. I need you to practice, I need you to pr- do it, practice. You're gonna be, <laughs> okay. Yeah, because you can't look happy. <laughs> there we go. Okay, because pe- wartime is not fun, and those people keep trying to kill Israel. They keep trying to try to kill Israel. Okay. Hold on, hold on. We're going to do this. Are you ready? My phone's not working. One second. All right. All right. You pose. You hold the pose. All right, like I said, okay, here we go. I don't need the sound effects. You can't laugh, Summer. Wait, I didn't tell you to stop. <laughs> stay, 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 stay. Come on, stay. I need you. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, just from visual appearance alone, do you want to live in a religion based on works or based on grace? Grace. Let's give them a hand. She's been set free. (laughs) The Apostle Paul uses some history to help the Galatians see that they are no longer, no longer bound by the works of the law. They are free because the bondwoman is free. And he brings clarity as he wraps up this section in verse 31. It says, so then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. Like Isaac, you are children of promise. That's who you are. You have been unchained. Brothers and sisters, how then are you living? Are you living free and unchained? Are you stuck in traditionalistic people-pleasing perfectionism? What's so fascinating about this whole thing is that the story that we recalled in Genesis 15, the very next verse in verse 6, it says this, Then he believed, he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he reckoned, The Lord reckoned it to Abram as righteousness. Even then, it was by faith that it was accounted to him as righteousness. The law, as we have been learning, was to show you and I that we are desperately in need of a Savior 
and that Savior's name is Jesus. And he hung on a cross and he rose again so that we can live free. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And I am unchained. Would you bow your heads, please? This passage has rocked me and rocked me and rocked me. Because it's just a reminder of how much I keep trying sometimes to do it on my own and yet my God is just standing there with arms open wide saying I'm here and it's been encouraging to process over the last number of many years that God has shown me that he is gracious that he is sufficient and it's been fun to reflect on his grace brothers and sisters what's in your way what are you holding on to? What ceremony? What thing are you holding on to? Maybe you need to confess to the Lord this morning and ask him for help and reminder that you can live free, that you can be over here on the right side and, and enjoying life free so much that you can help somebody else in need because you're not worried about the stuff on the other side. Maybe things are going well. You're actually living this out well. Then just spend time thanking the Lord and asking him for that next person that you can evangelize to this week. That next person that you can find to lift up off the ground. Brothers and sisters, while you're praying, while you're dealing with the Lord personally for a moment, some of you may not know Jesus. You don't even know what it means to even talk about being unchained because you're so wrecked in life. Abraham believed on the Lord and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That's all you need to do. You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross and rose again. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he rose again and you will be saved. You can do that right now. You know that you're striving like Sarah, striving at that one point. It's not going to fix the problem. Will you call on his name? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your good gifts. The gift of your son. And I thank you for Paul and his reminder to the Galatians, which has now reached our hearts and minds to remind us that we do not have to go back that way. By trusting in your son, Jesus, alone, we can live unchained as children of promise. And Father, I ask that you would help us to do that well and may other lives be blessed for that. In Jesus' name, amen.